0: All right. We'll be in Acts chapter number uh, ten. Acts chapter number ten this morning, and sort of a sort of inspired a little bit by uh, Veterans Day. I was uh, thinking about uh, different uh, soldiers and military things in the Scripture, and uh, I don't know. I just thought about uh, thought about the Cornelius in Acts chapter number ten and. I want to just kind of show you a few things from his life uh, that, that makes him uh, such a such an amazing figure in the scriptures it's a very simple sermon i think i went a little too far uh, on the last two weeks got a little complex this one's a little bit more simple <laughs> uh, we're going to get in here and look at this acts chapter number 10. so we'll read the first eight verses that introduces cornelius it says there was a certain man in caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him, saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth uh, with one Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. I don't know about you, but I always uh, I, I look at these folks in the Scriptures and I always wonder, how does God choose in His infinite wisdom, how does He look down and say, that's the right person for this time? This is the right person for this task. Sometimes the Scripture tells us why. I thought about Noah. It said that Noah was, had faith in, a, in the midst of a faithless generation. What about King David? David was a man after God's own heart coming out of a time where, uh, of the judges where every man did that which was right in his own eyes. He's, a, he's kind of an oddity almost for good in this time. Sometimes you can guess why. Why, why did God use Luke? I think Luke's the greatest historian this world has ever produced uh, in what he, uh, the record of, of the books of Luke and Acts. I believe the Apostle Paul. Why did God choose Paul? I think Paul may be one of the greatest geniuses to ever walk this earth. Sometimes God just works through unlikely events to put a person where they need to be. I thought about Esther, this uh, little Jewish girl who ends up, uh, you know, the queen, and God put her in the palace to save the Jewish people. I think of Daniel. Uh, a prisoner, a captive, who's elevated to, to be a counselor to two of the great world empires, the Babylonian and the Persian empires. Sometimes it's not so evident. I, I tell you, I, I think about We're getting close to Christmas time. I still marvel at Mary and Joseph, that God entrusted these two people. I worry, like, oh God, I don't know what to do with these four kids you got me, let alone if I had the Messiah I was supposed to raise. Uh, But I think about them, and I marvel at them. It's not quite as clear, um, uh, some of these. But they're definitely extraordinary people. In Acts 10, we have a critical moment in the history of the world. And I'm not over-exaggerating that. This is a critical juncture in the history of the world that takes place in this chapter, if you keep reading. And it centers on one man. You cannot underestimate the, the or understate the importance of this event. Christ had come. He had lived on this earth. He had, uh, he had died on the cross. He had rose again. He ascended to heaven. The gospel story was spreading. And it spread at first only among the Jews. Uh, when Paul talked about to the Jew first, the gospel message went to the Jews. And at Pentecost, you'll see there's there's three thousand Jews that are saved in, in Acts chapter two. Uh, if you go back a, a chapter, so there you'll you'll see the Ethiopian eunuch that gets saved that Philip talks to. Well, he wasn't a Jew by birth, but he was a Jew by religion. He was uh, like a Jewish proselyte, uh, kind of an interesting deal. All the people that had heard or received the gospel up to Acts chapter ten were all Jews by blood or had uh, you know, assimilated into the Jewish culture as a proselyte. But in Acts chapter number 10, the first Gentile is saved. It's one of the most dramatic shifts in history because the gospel was opened to the Gentiles. Because this happened, Paul traveled the Roman world preaching and teaching. Because of this, Christianity spread like wildfire. The believers were becoming so numerous in just a matter of a few decades that it started to shift Roman culture. And, and there's reports and letters and things you can go and read where they're talking about, what do we do with these Christians? What do we do with these guys? Uh, Pliny, the, uh, Pliny the Younger, uh, there's a famous letter that he wrote uh, to uh, Emperor Trajan talking about what do we do with these Christians? Uh, that was like in the early uh like 120, 130 AD it's an interesting deal I can show that to you but I mean the world's turning upside down men like Nero and, and Domitian they tried to squash it but they could not Christianity changed the course of the Roman Empire it changed the course of European history it changed the course of American history the world turned upside down by the power of the gospel and the watershed moment is right here in Acts chapter number 10. And it all circles around this guy named Cornelius. And I, I think it's really amazing. if you, We don't know a lot about this guy. There's a whole chapter in the Bible here that talks about him. But we're we, we kind of left to kind of put some bits and pieces together about him. And, and I think if you really think, uh, think about it and ponder on it, I think he is a, one of the most unlikely people. Right, why would God choose this guy to be the one who gets to be first in line of the Gentiles to enter into the kingdom of God? First off, I thought about he's a Roman. His, uh, his name, Cornelius, that's a Roman, a Latin name. So uh, it's or Italian. I mean, so the, he's, He is a Roman by blood, by culture. These guys were the rulers of the world. They were oppressive. They're often just flat out uncaring about the other people. Basically, as long as you behaved and sent them money and sent them stuff, they left you alone. But, uh, but they could be cruel. They could be vicious. They ruled the world with an iron hand for centuries. Why, why couldn't it have been an Egyptian? Why couldn't it have been a Syrian? Why couldn't it have been a Greek? But it was a Roman. The hated enemy of the Jews that ruled, uh, that, that was in power, ruling over the world. Not only is he a Roman, but he's also a soldier. He's a centurion. Uh, that's classically over 100 men. Uh, at this time, I say it's probably closer to 80, just with different revisions and things they went through. Uh, and even today, you, if you want to say, well, the, the picture of Roman power it's a picture of a Roman centurion, these, these soldiers. They were so effective, so powerful, ruling over uh, all. No one could stand in front of their mighty armies. And here he is to the Jew. He's the enemy. He's the soldier that occupies and enforces foreign rule on the people. There's also a good chance, based on his name, that he is a nobleman. Uh, the, the rank of centurion is the highest that a non-noble could get and the lowest that a nobleman could get. It's a, it's a weird, it's kind of like in, a, in the middle of things there. Uh, but uh, the, the, the people, what they called in, uh, in the Roman Roman world the equestrian order, the, old, the, the elites, the senatorial class, the rich, the powerful, uh, many centurions were from these families. And it's possible that that name, Cornelius, that's a Roman name, there actually is a Roman family uh, called the, the uh, Cornelia. And there are, uh, if you get on Wikipedia, Wikipedia, the fount of all knowledge, if you get on there and you, uh, you, you'll see hundreds of names of famous senators and generals who were from this family. It was one of the most powerful families in the Roman Empire. It's funny because the gospel... Among the Jews and even among the Gentiles later, usually it finds its 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 most fertile ground among just the common people. It's usually not the elite. It's usually not the powerful. Not that they don't get saved, but it's typically among the the poor, middle poor, poor, uh, middle class poor class. Even still today, some things don't change. Uh, so it's interesting that he could be a nobleman uh, if you, if you if you piece all that together. Not only that, he also. May have had something to do with the Roman government. He's stationed at uh, Caesarea, uh, which is the Roman port. It's a port city. It's named after Caesar, and uh, this is this is the center of the Roman government in this area. Uh, It's where their 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 power is based out of. Perhaps he's guarding the Roman governor. Perhaps he himself, he's got some kind of an official capacity. I, I don't know, but I don't think it's a coincidence that he could be a nobleman serving in the Roman army placed in the Roman capital for the for the region. Uh, the, you know, I was thinking about that. Um, we, we like to gripe about our government. Uh, it's an American right you know, <laughs> to do so. And uh, I was thinking about it. My wife's uncle uh, pastors a church uh, in D.C. And uh, he actually has a ministry. And he told me, I was like, he was telling me I got to see him, uh, talk to him a little bit after Becky's granddad died after the funeral. I got to sit down and talk with him a little bit. And uh, he was telling me, he said, he said, yeah, he said, it's really, he said, you think about, oh, I'm going in here to, he says, this is just about like having a bus route or a youth ministry or anything else. He said, I'm able to go in and witness these guys. He said, it's just as outreach just as much as anything else. Going in and getting into these senators' offices and things like that. I mean, I would be intimidated. He's like, ah, it's nothing. I just go in there and preach the gospel to them. But hearing him, and if you know anybody that's ever been involved in reaching in uh, to, to to government and things like that, that's a hard field. Those people don't want God most of the time. Pretty evident. A lot of them are very open about that. Um, so you think about that. Here it is, a guy with ties to the government getting saved. I think that's that makes it even more remarkable. So what is it about this Roman soldier that caught the eye of God? To me, it's a similar question. Is Why David? Why Of all his brothers, why do you pick David? Well, it's because God didn't see as man saw, God saw as God sees. He sees on the inside. There's so many reasons that you could look at Cornelius and say, yeah, we could probably find somebody a little bit better. It's fine if he gets saved, but for the first one, let's let's find somebody a little bit better that fits the mold a little more. Um, but I want to point out this morning some of the things that God saw in this century. and He already was a man of faith. The one thing he lacked was just understanding Christ. So I want to I look at some of these things about him because uh, he, he already believed in the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Uh, he just needed that knowledge of God's only begotten Son. So I've got to think about four things right here that uh, help us see into the heart of Cornelius and see that it's the perfect place for the gospel to take root and flourish. Now, I think if you really look at these things, I think these are things that God still looks for today among His children. The first thing I want us to see is His his pious lifestyle. His pious lifestyle. It says there in verse number 2, a devout man. That's His description, a devout man. I think sometimes we fall in the same trap Talking about Cornelius that we do, talking about most people today. Uh, you ever had somebody say, "Hey, you you know so and so?" I'm like, "Oh, maybe describe them to me. Maybe I do." What's the first thing we describe somebody as? It's usually what they do for a living. Oh, they're a teacher. Oh, they're a policeman. Oh, they're a they're a lawyer. We don't have many of those, but uh, but but we'll, we'll say uh, you know that's what they do, and we identify with the work that we do. It's it's so strange. So much of our identity is tied into our our jobs, and uh, it's really though it's been that way for a long time. In fact, it's really fun if you look all this up. A lot of our last names coming from the British Anglo-Saxon heritage. A lot of our last names are related to jobs. Uh, Miller, they ran mills. Smiths, they were blacksmiths. Bakers, you can figure that one out. Fisher, pretty, pretty easy. And some of them are, you know, the languages are shifted. Some of them aren't quite as obvious. But there, I mean, dozens upon dozens upon dozens of last names still in use have these specific job uh, descriptions because that was, oh, that's Bob. He's the baker, so he became Bob Baker. And it just passed down through the centuries. It's a weird thing. But like I say, so much of our identity is who we are. If I were to ask you today, who is Cornelius in the Bible? What can you tell me about him? First thing, you'd probably say, he's a centurion. We'd say that was his job. But you know, that's not who he was. That's what he did for a living, but that's not who he was. You find the description right here of who he was in verse number two. He's a devout man. This man loved God 24-7. This man lived his life knowing that God was watching. He lived a life that he thought would bring glory and honor to the God that he loved. I remind you that God's not impressed with Sunday-only Christians. He's not impressed with those that claim the name of Christ only when it's convenient. That sort of faith does not impress God. Imagine claiming you're a Texas Rangers fan today, but rooting for the Astros six out of seven games. That'd be pretty dangerous right now. Imagine claiming you're a Republican, but voting Democrat nine times out of ten. We'll leave that one alone. Our own world recognizes the folly, the folly of these kind of claims. Christianity is not just about Sunday morning. It's every heartbeat of every day through thick and thin. By the way, that's not to earn our salvation. We don't have to stay perfect, keep our record clean, to impress God. That's not, what, that's not it. Uh, that's not how this works. It's because of salvation that we live this way. Because I'm a child of God, it changes my way I live, the way I think, the way I feel. Christianity is, like I say, it's not just an appointment. It's not just something we do. It's not something we just claim so we get brownie points. Uh, what this is, it, it's a life. It's a life. It's a life. And you see that kind of faith in Cornelius before he even gets the gospel. He already has this devout, pious lifestyle. The second thing I want you to see is his private leadership. The next description there in verse number 2 it says, One that feared God with all his house. Not only was Cornelius a godly man, but he also led his household to be godly also. This isn't something you can force. You can't just declare, hey, guess what, everybody? We're a Christian house now. Uh, This is not how this works. You can't legislate this. You can't declare this. Uh, By the way, this is true leadership uh, on on Cornelius' part. He's a leader in the military. He's got these men, maybe 100 men or so, underneath him. Uh, He's got some power. But... You know, people from the outside would probably look and say, man, that guy's a leader. Look at look at what he does. But I tell you what, so too many people put on a good front for the public eye. And there's something else entirely when they get home in the privacy, uh, you know, of, of their own home, their own living room. Someone once said that true character is what you are in the dark when no one else will see what you do. By the way, that's why Paul, when he's writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy 3, verses 5 and 6, he was talking about that a pastor is called a bishop here, but same office. But it says that the leadership in the church, one of the most important characteristics is they must first and foremost lead their own homes well. 1 Timothy 3 4 and 5 says, One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? The home is the first mission field for every Christian. It's also the most important mission field. I think we have failed as Christians if we neglect our own field of our home and focus on the other fields. We failed. The most important place is home. By the way, that's why Satan attacks us so much. That's why saying, I heard Dad say this morning. I eavesdropped dropped a little bit back there. I was trying to hide, but I eavesdropped dropped a little bit. He said, Satan doesn't play fair. He doesn't. He doesn't. He'll come for you. He'll He'll attack your wife. He'll attack your husband. He'll attack your kids. He does not play fair. And I'm going to tell you, one of his number one targets is the Christian home. By the way, churches can be destroyed and faith will continue. Homes destroyed, it's hard for faith to continue in those people involved. Just being honest. I've seen that played out too many times. But Cornelius, I, I love that he has a private leadership. The people not just his family, but also servants and people. The people in close intimate contact with him were so impressed by him that they followed his example and they started loving God too. It's a tremendous thing to, if you think about it. The third thing I want to see is this philanthropic liberality. I got really big words on that one. I, I got on this deal, you know, So I like to alliterate if I can and I got this scheme going of P's and L's on these and it's like, well, it's not a hard P sound, it's an F sound, but anyway, it works, okay? Anyway, y'all don't care about any of that. But it says, he gave much alms to the people. This is charitable giving. By the way, we treat this as something optional. It's like, okay, well, hey, this is just bonus. I'm a good guy, and every now and then, yeah, I, 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 give, I give a little bit to somebody who needs it. Uh, can I tell you that this is actually one of the most blessed activities that you can take part in. Psalm 41, 1. Blessed is he that considereth the poor, the Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. Psalm 112, verse 9. He hath dispersed, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness endureth forever, his horn shall be exalted with honour. his place, his, 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 his character, his testimony lifted up because of the help he gave to those in need. Proverbs fourteen twenty one. He that despiseth his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. Proverbs nineteen seventeen. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord. Like this. Not that you're just giving money. You're you're actually giving that to God. It's it's a tool God can use. And and that which he hath given him will he pay him again, that God will return that blessing. By the way, this isn't just Old Testament. That's just a sampling. We could go a lot further on this. Luke 14, Christ telling the story. Uh, he's, he's telling a parable. I'm just going to kind of jump in the middle of He's talking here. But he said, uh, Luke 14, 12 through 14. Uh, Christ speaking, he says, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again and recompense be made. That's was like, you know, as you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You invite me to your party, I'll invite you to mine. He said, don't do that. What does he say do? But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed. For they cannot recompense, they can't pay you back. For thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. He's saying there's going to be treasures in heaven laid up for your genera- uh, generosity in giving. 1 John 3:17. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? says, so, you can't really be a true Christian if you don't have some sort of love and care and concern for those in need around you. It isn't just love; it's love in action. We can all feel sorry. I feel sorry. You see those TV commercials for the poor little dogs and the poor little kids and all that. Oh, I feel sorry for them. Uh, This—that's not just talking about. We're not just talking about feeling sorry. We're talking about I'm going to do something. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to give. I'm going to help. I'm going to do something. It's not pity; it's powerful action. We'll make an observation here. The happiest people I know just happen to be the most generous. The most miserable people I know also happen to be the stingiest and the greediest. I don't think you can prove me wrong on those observations. You open your heart, you open your arms, you open your pocketbook if there's anything in there. Remember John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He, what? He gave. He gave he gave a lot he gave his only begotten son to some miserable creatures (laughs) Uh, that's us sinful mankind you want to be more like god one of the things god does god gives and the closer we get to him i think that's a characteristic that rubs off on us too we become more generous the fourth thing i want us to see here in verse number two is his prayer life the prayer life of cornelius it says he prayed to god Always. Last observation here is it's. By the way, this this isn't just a habit. This isn't just saying he's very character, very structured, and uh, he's got the app on his phone to remind him. Uh, you know, it's five o'clock. It's time to pray or whatever. Uh, I tell you what, people nowadays they wouldn't know what to do if he got rid of their phone. You know, you don't know what's going on, where you're supposed to be. And I tell you, what, if we mess up and we forget to put something in there, the kids are doing. We we it throws us off. We forget what are y'all doing Thursday? Oh, we got anything oh yeah, well, that's not in the calendar. You know, it just throws everything off. But this is not what we're talking This isn't character we're talking about. This isn't just saying, oh, he he prayed an hour a day. I'm going to tell you what this is talking about. This is a real relationship. He talked to God. And God spoke back to him. Look, send an angel with a special message here. This is a two-way communication. It's a dialogue okay, I'm going to be careful on this one, but imagine being married and never talking to your spouse. That's not a relationship. Somebody was probably thinking that sounds like heaven, but that's not what I'm talking about here, okay? Uh, If you have a relationship, there's communication. There should be. How about this? You have someone in your life, probably many someones, that if your phone rang right now, you pick it up and you look at it and you see who it is, and your first reaction would be, "What do they want now?" And you had somebody pop in your mind, didn't you? Yeah. Did. We all have those people that the only time they remember you exist is when they need something. That's not a relationship. Most. Uh, <laughs> what I want you to note, it's not just that Cornelius prayed. Most folks, I'll tell you, even a lot of non-Christians, even some agnostics, and I'm going to tell you, even I think some atheist people have looked up to the sky and said, God, if you're real, they've tried to talk to God. They've tried to have a relationship with Him. Most folks have prayed sometimes in their life. But I want you to note the extent of Cornelius' prayer life. He prayed all the way. In public, he prayed. In private, he prayed in good times he prayed in bad times he prayed when he needed something he prayed when he was blessed beyond measure and content his cup was overflowing guess what he did he prayed you can read a lot into that one little word right there whatever the situation of life that found him in he prayed you know you don't have to pray just at church you can it's good you don't have to pray at the altar. You don't have to just pray at the pew. Uh, and pray in your car. i a lot of that when I rap with Drew. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but you can pray going down the road. You don't have do anything else. I like Turn the radio off and talk to God. You can pray in your bed. You don't even have to get out of bed. You can pray in your workplace. You don't have to make a big deal about it. Say, hey, everybody, I'm going to pray. You don't have to do that way. You can pray at your desk. You can pray at your workbench. You can pray in your darkest hours, you can pray in your happiest hours. I tell you the one thing we can do. There's never a time when we cannot or should not pray. Paul wrote to the Church of Thessalonica, first Thessalonians five seventeen, pray without ceasing. Wrap this up here. God looked down almost 2,000 years ago, looking for the right person to be the first Gentile convert. He was looking for someone who had faith. Could he find that today? Luke 18, verse 8. says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? That's what he's looking for. God's looking for people of faith and not just a dead faith but an active faith. Will he find that in us? When he looks at us he says, well, who are you? Well, I'm a, I'm an oil field worker. Well, I'm a retiree. Oh, I'm a teacher. I'm a this, I'm a that, whatever. It would be wonderful. I said, that's a person of faith right there. That's a person who believes in a great big God right there. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That's what people knew about us. By the way, you can get that reputation pretty easy if you live it out because you'll stick out like a sore thumb in this world. But will he find faith? Second, I want to remind you that it's not works that save. It's the faith that produces the works. How do we know that Cornelius was a man of faith? Look at his works. Look at the life that he he had. The same is still true today. James chapter 2 verse 17. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. A lot of people talk about this. Well, you have faith, you have works. Well, there's only one thing that will save you. It's faith. Works can't you can't you can't you can't scrub off one sin off your record by your good works. Not the way it works. It's only through faith and trust in Christ that our sins can be forgiven. But here's the thing. If you have that faith inside you, it has an effect. It has an effect. I think about this, about things inside having a having effect. Um, This is not the best example, forgive me on this. But has anybody ever tried to kill wasps with gas? With gasoline? Have you ever been desperate and poured that gasoline in a styrofoam cup? It doesn't work. It just eats right through the styrofoam cup. I've been there. I've done that. Let's see, if lost. Oh, hey, I'll just sling this up there real quick. Oh, there's a cup. And not thinking, just pour it in there, and next thing you know, the, the cup's gone. <laughs> it, it just eats right through it. Let me tell you what the difference Because something inside made a difference. Something inside had an effect. Let me tell you something. When you have faith in your heart, it has an effect. It doesn't just eat you up like that. But it does change you. It does change you, and it comes out. It comes out through works. And the last thing is musicians come. Most important thing, you look at this. Do you have the same saving faith as Cornelius? God looked down. He didn't see just, oh, well, this is a good man. Good man doesn't matter. I know a lot of good folks. That's not what God's looking for. God is looking for faith. When he, when he comes, that is what He is looking for. He wants to know who trusts in Him. It's not about what we do. It's not about good outweighing bad. The number one thing that we have in our hearts, the number one thing that matters, have we placed our faith and trust in Christ? That's all that matters. When we get to heaven, Think about it. We're going to get to heaven one day. We'll be walking down the streets of gold. And you're going to see a guy, and you're going to say, I think I know you. Like, yeah, my name's Cornelius. Well, You're not dressed like a centurion now. So, no, no, I'm, I've got heavenly robes on now. I'm doing pretty good. Well, How'd you get in here? I mean, you were a Roman. Uh, you were a soldier. There's a lot of things working against you, bud. I'm here the same reason you are. I believed. I believed in what Christ did. Go read the rest of the chapter. I believed on the Messiah. We need to do the same thing. We need to do the same thing. One number there, Olin. 318 in the Baptist Hymnal. We'll sing along with the invitation song. If you'll stand, we'll get ready for the time of the invitation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, just uh, thinking about our veterans, thinking about soldiers, and thinking about uh, this this man, 2,000 years later, and still marveling at the faith, unexpected faith to be found in a man named Cornelius. Lord, let it be an example to us. Let it be a help be a guide as we press forward, living our life for you, holding true to the standards that you've given to us, and but looking back and seeing, Lord, this this is someone that you looked at and you marveled and you honored. Lord, let us learn from his example to lead a life of faith that comes out in our works, in our leadership, in our life, in our in our giving. Lord, let us Be affected by that faith we hold inside. Challenge us, I pray, Lord. A very simple message here this morning. I just challenge our hearts with this simple truth that we've covered here this morning. I pray in this invitation time, amen.